Good evening, church. Let's just wait on the Lord here for a moment. You know, I think that as we approach a series of knowing God, part of knowing God is knowing God by his voice. I just want to take a moment, if I could, and just pray for us. Can we do that? Actually, I'm going to let God pray through me. How's that? The Lord said to you, sons and daughters, is that this is going to be a year of divine visitation. Because I'm going to break in to some of your lives in a way that's going to startle you. You've asked and not seen. You've not heard. But I'm going to open eyes and ears, says the Lord, to the reality of my presence, not only in your life, but in your situation. And in this year of divine visitation, it's also going to be a year of divine interruptions, says the Lord. And I'm going to come to divinely disturb you, divinely interrupt you, even in the midst of Speech and thought, I'm going to break in, says the Lord. You're going to find yourself literally having to stop in mid-sentence to catch the wind of what I am doing and saying in that moment. And in the midst of divine interruptions, I'm going to release this as a moment of divine expectations as well. That even as it seems that certain things have been delayed and held back, know, says God, that this will be a year of delivery. Do I not declare in my word that do I bring to the moment of delivery and not bring birth, says the Lord. And I will bring forth safe delivery around your lives. Safe delivery in your children. Safe delivery in your finances. And everything that's been pregnant, says the Lord, everything that is post-term, I will bring delivery in this moment, says the Lord. Somebody agree with that if you would. Yes. Pastor Brett and I were in a fairly lively discussion on Sunday afternoon about prophecy, about how prophecy can be best heard in a congregation and in a culture like ours because we have many, many folk that visit us on a regular basis. Statistically, we probably have anywhere between 100 and 150 guests on a Sunday morning. So it becomes sort of impossible to contextualize the gifts of the Spirit and then, you know, the offices that may accompany those gifts. And the thing that I love about our pastor, he said, you know what? Let it rip. So we're going to let it rip. And so get used to it on Wednesday nights because this is is where it's going to happen, Captain, right here. All right? Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, excuse me, 9th chapter, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. 
And let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and he knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Tonight we're beginning a series which will go a long time. I don't know how long, but it will go a long time. Entitled Knowing God. And tonight this message is entitled Known to Know. Known to know. Sunday, of course, I spoke a message entitled Course Correction and part of one of the five points this year that God is wanting to bring us into, if you wish, a new and renewed communion with him. Closer proximity in this moment so that we can hear better that which he's saying to us. We all have resolutions that we make this time of the year, and for the most part, they're resolutions of just how to be a better self. Less of some things, more of other things. But what if our resolution was a resolution of revelation? What if our real resolution for 2017 was to know God better? What if that became our resolution for 2018 and 2019 and 2020 or until the Lord returns that the true way that we practice heaven is getting to know God? You know, most of what we do today in our ecclesiastical life, we won't be doing in heaven. We won't need teachers. We won't need prophets. We won't need evangelists. I mean, a lot of what we do, it goes away. But what doesn't go away is this quest to know God. It will take eternity for us to just kind of try to circle that throne and begin to get some idea of who this sovereign really is that we thought we knew in this eye blink of a lifetime. That's the quest right there. And this resolution of revelation, knowing God better, let me just tell you, it's only that which will truly allow the change to form in our life. That's it right there. This series hopefully will bring definition and emphasis to some of the aspects of who God is, subsequently how he can, do, how he can be better known to us. And you know, I don't know of any subject or topic of mankind from the ages down, about who is God. I mean, you can go to work and get around the proverbial water cooler and everybody's got an idea of who God is. For the most part, God is some construct in their mind. A collection of ideologies, a collection of ideals. A God who is a God of love, certainly not a God of judgment. We want the New Testament version, not the Old Testament version. Don't give us that angry Sinai God. Give us that Jesus fellow. Come on. And everybody has constructed an idea of who they want God to be. 
Maybe you and I have done exactly the same thing. And yet as we walk with God for a moment, we begin to realize God perhaps is not at all who we thought he was. I mean, God's initial response to Moses, what, what, who, who, what, who can I say? Just conjugate the verb for him. How many people describe themselves as a verb? I am. You got to be kidding. You're going to send me in front of the most powerful human being on the planet, and I'm going to give him a smart answer like that. I will not survive the first meeting. I am. And yet, so much misinformation about who this God really is. And yet God is eminently knowable to you and me. In this series, we're going to consider knowing God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What we know is the Trinity. What do we know about God as a daddy? Most of us in this room have serious daddy issues. And don't think that those daddy issues have not extended to our understanding of the Heavenly Father as well. Knowing God is a Savior, the Son, and then knowing God is Spirit. What is that all about? We'll look at knowing God by His Word, His acts, His attributes, His names. It's quite a bit that we'll look at over the next few weeks together. John, the first chapter, verse 4. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. You see, the greatest privilege afforded to man is not life. It's the light that brings life. The privilege to know and be known by the author of life. It's from that vantage point that everything else in life flows. You know, we try to get the course of the river reversed. We try to have everything flow back to God when in reality everything, because it originates with God, it all flows what? From God. And somehow we think we can reverse that course and if we can just get it to flow back up to God, then somehow God will do whatever God does and he'll release it back to us. But the reality is any and everything that God intends for you and I to have, it starts with him. It, and it continues to start with him. Something inherent inside of us that inquires of something larger. And it aspires to something larger beyond. And not just a bigger, better, more blessed version of self. I mean, even a child looks up and they begin to ponder there's got to be more than just candy crush and transformers. I mean, even, even a two and three year old mind begins to begin to get some sense that there's something far away and beyond mom and dad and brother and sister and Target and movies. Even in the mind of a child, something in the soul yearns to connect to something so far 
so much bigger than they are. The ancients have written tremendous books to that end. Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer. Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Knowing God by J.I. Packer. All classics, and if you're not familiar with them, get familiar with them. These are really smart people. But you know, it's not a matter that we read these as theological tomes, but we begin to read books like this, and they open us up and realize, you know something about this I don't know. And not just that you studied your Greek and Hebrew, but there's something that God has revealed about himself to you that I've not even barely peeked into yet. You've heard me say this before, but I have the privilege of being around a lot of really smart people. Pastor Brett, smart brother. Stephen Mansfield. I mean, every time I turn around, he's churned out another book. <laughs> He'll write three or four this year. I asked him one time, I said, how do you do this? I've been to his, I've been to his abode. I've seen his office. Stephen, I'm, turn, I'm, I'm, I'm opening up your private world now. I call his office the bunker. It literally has no windows on purpose. And he will go into the bunker and emerge five days later with a book. I'm like, I do not like you. <laughs> that intimidates me a lot. Smart people. And yet, it's not the smart people anymore that really, as much as, 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 much as it's impressive, it's not the thing I'm, I'm aiming for because I realize it ain't happening for me. Why did you laugh? That hurts my feelings a lot. <laughs> that ship sailed a long time ago. But there's a vast difference between knowing about something and knowing something. A Google search will give you a lot of information about most anyone. But that information doesn't mean you know them. Oh, you can know all kinds of facts about all kinds of famous people, but you just know about them. You don't know them, and they don't know you. You see, real relationships are reciprocal, meaning it's contingent on that other person allowing themselves to be known and allowing yourself to be known. You see, this is, this is what is the real essence of a relationship is a person allowing themselves the vulnerability to give away certain information about themselves that if you wish could be harmful in the wrong hands are you with me you can limit how much somebody knows about you simply by not letting them in and we have all kinds of different spheres of relationships that you let people in a certain distance. What is that? Simply, how much do you let them know about you? 
You've got peripheral relationships at work. All people know about you is that you work in that office and you do that job. You do not want them to have your phone number, your personal email address, your address at home or where you eat a meal. Let's just keep it right over there. So you're not giving up any information. Maybe you got some folk at church and you've got a little bit greater depth. Or maybe that spouse that you're sitting next to, you've allowed them in a certain distance. See, knowledge implies vulnerability and intimacy, and you can't have one of those without the other. And in a real sense, then, that other person empowers you to know them based on what they allow you to know about them. Are you hearing me here? I empower you in the relationship only to the extent that I give you information about my life. I can empower you or disempower you with that information or that revelation. You see, God knows you. We'll establish that a little bit further in a moment. But you see, the real miracle in the relationship is how far God has gone in making himself known to man. This is the real miracle, not that a God who is omniscient, a God that made it all to begin with, knows everything. The real miracle in this deal is the fact that God has made himself so accessible to mankind. That God has held back nothing from you and from me if we'll go get it. Romans, the first chapter. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Boy, I tell you, that's a scary little passage of scripture right there. Well, what about, what about Jesus? Where, where's Jesus in all of this? Man is culpable Because what can be known about God can be seen based on what God has made and what God has done. Now, that'll keep you awake at night. So just stay awake and work on it. But you see, God is not what he has made. He is revealed and reflected in that which he has made. See, folk get real confused about this. And so they get all weird and pantheistic and start worshiping trees and bugs and birds and, you know, making little idols and dancing around them. And I mean, it gets gets real strange out there. Japan's got 50,000 gods. Jesus is not a problem. They just add it to the 50,000. Not kidding. Montgomery's have been to India many times. I've been, and the, mar- the, the most amazing thing is that you, 
You, as, as you go literally from street to street and block to block, everyone, there's, a, there's a new God on every street and every block that people are making sacrifices to. I mean, I, I, it's a full-time job just to try to keep one God understood and happy. Imagine trying to keep hundreds or thousands of gods appeased. No wonder these, never mind, moving on. John chapter 1, verse 3, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. God has revealed himself through the work of his hands. God's revealed through his word. And I'm not talking just about the Bible now. Psalm 138, verse 2, I will bow down toward your holy temple, praise your name for your love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. John 1, you know this, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Luke chapter 24. In beginning with Moses and the prophets, He explained to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning Himself. And when He was at the table, He took bread, gave, them thank, bro- gave thanks, broke it, began to get, and began to give it to them. Then... Their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning with us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? One of the things that makes God God and what makes God known is how much writing God has about himself. The miracle of inscripturation. 66 books of the Bible. Just look at the miracle of how we how we get Scripture to where it is today, that you realize it's not just that all Scripture is God-breathed and worthy of, but just the whole process of how it got to us, that every word is somehow a reflection of the person and character of God. God wrote his own book, if you wish. We know God... Through his son come his flesh. John 14. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you knew me, you would know my Father. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. We'll come back to this passage a lot. Paul writing this marvelous prayer to the church at Ephesus. I keep asking. In other words, this is not a one time we'll get this done and move on. The language here implies that there is an ongoing intercession made for this church. I keep asking this. Perhaps we need to keep asking the very same thing. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, not Pastor Brett, not Pastor Donnell, not just the prophets, not just the apostles, evangelists, teachers, and pastors, but give you the spirit, pneuma, of wisdom and revelation. Not so that you can plant more churches and do more campus ministry, be socially responsible, and be an overall great guy. But he gives you this spirit so that you may know him better. That's what the word says. 
We want an understanding of what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. Well, he brings us spiritual gifts, and we get that, and we can, do, we can go do this now, and he empowers us for No. Well, yes. <laughs> but they are penultimate, but not ultimate reasons and functions of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to give us revelation about who God is. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Capital S. Commentators and theologians, they still debate somewhat whether it's the Spirit or the capital S Spirit as in Holy Spirit. I'm going to do the latter because it fits my message better. And I think the language bears it out. But I believe it's that Holy Spirit that God places in us. John 14 The counselor whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I have said to you. God is so vested in this pursuit, this knowledge of him, that he, if you wish, he invests the Holy Spirit into you and I so that this process might continue. And it's not a study, it's a relationship. The theologian doesn't necessarily know God, although he may be an expert in the words and the meaning of Scripture. Jesus responding to the Pharisees in John 5, righteous by the law, and knew the Scripture. And yet, what did Jesus say to these guys? You diligently study the Scripture. Because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and to have life. What was Jesus saying here? When you separate the scriptures from me, they mean nothing. Yeah, if you follow the law and the prophets and follow the scripture, there is a blessing of righteousness that will come to you. But... Let me just say to you that you can possess the scriptures and still not possess the relationship that God intends for you to have. When we sit down and we read our Bible, are we just trying to get through our Bible in a year? Trying to check off, maybe, maybe trying to check off our chapter or two for that day? Or are we willing to ruminate until illumination comes in one passage for months if necessary? Until God has us so drowned in that passage that we can't breathe anything else, we finally get it. You know, there are passages in my Bible that are like speed bumps. You know, you're reading along, yep, got, yep, 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 yep. And the next thing you know, it's like, I have no idea what that means. That just escaped my cognition, that just moved beyond my pay grade. Theologically, guess what? The Holy Spirit puts those speed bumps there to slow you down. To keep you just from, from just trying to read through this thing and become some theological monster. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Nothing's changed. And it's not just about theology. It's not about function. His or ours. 
The prophet Hosea chapter 6 verse 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, God doesn't say don't offer sacrifice. He doesn't say don't tithe. He doesn't say not to worship him. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying if I've got to make a choice between these other things and you knowing me, I'm going to take the latter every time. That's what he's saying. And it all begins by being known. It begins, first of all, with a personal invitation into that circle. You are personally invited. Saints, listen to to me. This is not a global invitation. It's a personal invitation. There's a lot of theology in that statement, which I'm not going to unpack. But you're personally invited. Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 11. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And this is really the seminal passage for this message. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, and then he kind of backs up for a moment and says, or rather that you're known by God. He makes a very interesting distinction here. It's fascinating to me how even he doesn't go back and erase anything. He leaves both thoughts together side by side. But now that you know God, wait a minute, wait a minute. Brother, you are known by God. How is it that you're turning back? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 19. To know this love that surpasses knowledge that you can be filled to the measure. See, God initiates that process. And knowing him begins with his knowing us. And that started a long time ago. Jeremiah 1. Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I appointed you to go do some stuff. Psalm 139. The rallying cry behind not just the right to life, but how God defines life. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Moses in Exodus thirty-three seventeen, The Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing you've asked. Why? Because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. It wasn't just based on Moses' behavior. It was based on the fact God knew him. John 10, my sheep listen, I know them, and they follow me. He goes on and it says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And my Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. But then once we're personally invited, we become personally involved. J.I. Packer says it this way. We don't make friends with God. God makes friends with us. That helps me a lot. God makes friends with us. God makes the initial overture that says, 
you and I are going to be friends. I mean, how boastful would it be for us to go up to the sovereign of all, to go up and say, go, to go up, if you could get access to the president of the United States and walk up and say, yo, we're going to be friends. First of all, you probably would be dropped on sight if you ever tried to make an overture like that. And yet Packer makes a great statement. God is the one who says we can be friends. John 15, you're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. But instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father. I've made it known to you. What does he say? I'm not holding anything back. Everything I know about the Father who is seated on that throne and I left to come be with you, everything about him, I am making it known to you. I'm holding nothing back. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit and it's fruit that will last. Then, Boy, I tell you, we we jump to this passage quick. (laughs) Then my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. It's amazing how we eisegete that one passage out and we leave out all the relational stuff in front of it. We don't get because we can say the mantra well and quote that, that one verse. We do it on the basis of relationship. Because when we're known by God, when we know God, it's going to affect everything we do, including what we ask of him. Our prayer life will be radically shaken to the core. 40 years of walking with God, and I don't even know how to work my list anymore. That will be done. And you see, as friends, I'm involved in my friends' lives, not just expecting them to be involved in mine. You ever seen somebody that could only carry one side of the conversation? Because everybody is an expert about themselves. And they can go on endlessly about the glories of themselves. It's an amazing phenomenon. People are, I just don't know how to talk to people. Just ask them about themselves. And you may not find yourself in a conversation or a dialogue. It may be a monologue, but you can get something going on. Just get people talking about themselves. But friends get involved in one another's lives. Pastor Duke is a gearhead, a motorhead. He loves automobiles, Indy racing, NASCAR. I don't get it. I really don't. But I pick up enough things along the way because we're intimate friends. I want to enter his world. And he listens to my mindless chattering about guitars. He's got more mindless information about guitars. He'll never use all that information. But he feigns interest because why? We're friends. (laughs) 
Husbands and wives, we learn to do the same thing. Come on. We've drug our spouses through a lot of knots of our weirdness and emphases. Hmm. But I, this requires transparency. And it requires attention. It requires effort. And it's what God is about. What is God doing? Will always reflect who he is. Do we ever approach God and say, what are you doing? What's burdening you today? Fellowshipping with God on his level rather than asking God to continually fellowship you on yours. This is how we get to know God. It's not, it's not at all dissimilar from how we get to know our friends. We get in, we, we, we get in their business. We get personally involved. Are you hearing something here? And saints, let me just tell you, a friend like that, it's a privilege. I alluded to this Sunday, but, you know, as I get older, I tell you, the, 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 the circle and the band of brothers around my life, boy, they get more and more precious. Working overtime to figure out how can I continue to invest in that, become more involved in those relationships. And you see, the privilege, do you realize that we have some things going with God the angels don't have? Think about this for a moment. Angels will never know grace and mercy like we know it. They'll never know it. Angels will never offer worship in the same manner as humans with the will to withhold it. And angels will never experience the pain or the joy of that relationship. And yes, you know God at this level, it will hurt. Don't kid yourself people closest to your life because of the vulnerability and because of the intimacy, they have the greatest capacity to hurt you. There is nobody on the planet that can hurt me like my wife. No one. And she doesn't do it often. But when she does, step back. No. But why is that? Is because of, of, of almost four decades of investment, because of the intertwining of life, vulnerability, intimacy, I care deeply about what she thinks more than anybody else on the planet. Do you understand? You know, when, when Paul was writing about the mystery between Christ and the church being like a marriage, what if the way that we conducted our life was in the type of intimacy that it wasn't a matter of, I wonder if I can get away with it. As a matter of what kind of dent is it going to put in the relationship? What am I going to have to unknot? Am I going to have to back into the presence of God and get all weird for a few days, you know? Come on. If you have a household pet, they can figure that one out. 
they know when to avoid you. You walk in the house and look at the dog, and you know they've left you an unpleasant surprise somewhere. And they begin to just kind of avoid you because they know that your displeasure is imminent. If your household pet can figure that out, don't you think the human soul that is designed to be in fellowship with an eternal God probably is going to have that very same reaction of avoiding that displeasure. And I have to stop. And I only got halfway through my first message. So this could be, this could be a rapture message. We may be here <laughs> until... All right. There's no way to stop except to say... We're done. Let's pray.